0: One, Lisa J here, and um, we're the crew. We're back. We're actually, we, yes, we work over the holidays, okay? We do not mm-hmm. rest over the holidays. And because we have a very special guest. Now, normally we'll go into news and things. We'll leave that for the next episode. The news is still going to be there. Nothing ever changed. It's fine. But today we have with us a very, very near and dear to our hearts, Mr. Gregory Mitchell, he was the uh former senior director of marketing and brand management. Boys. Uh, ooh, 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 wait, wait. I'm ooh, wait, I'm reading things that are uh, current. Ooh, let me So, you were the former senior director of marketing and brand management at Bandai America. Uh Gregory Mitchell, welcome to the show. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's definitely the most unique intro I've ever experienced. So thank you for that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no! Oh, our fearless team. leader. Yes. You know, you know. Great right start. I'm just a professional. Uh, how you doing, Greg?
1: <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Uh, I like you. I also work uh, steadily and uh, hard over the holiday period. I got some days off, but I'm sitting in my new office right now. Ah. Um, I'm not at home chilling either. I'm out there grinding like you guys.
0: Oh, huh. so, and is it is it known what you're doing right now? Is that public knowledge or is that? Yeah. Nobody, oh, okay, yeah. so I, what, what are you I doing now? I speak to
1: a certain extent on that. I, um, so there's, it's funny. Um, the best, but not necessarily most accurate way to describe it is I'm working for um, the U.S. brand new Spankin' just started by us, U.S. office of a company called Alpha Group in China. And the, again, the best way, but also not 100% accurate i guess it's something of a false equivalency but it does have some merit is alpha uh in china is essentially what bandai in japan is um so it's the biggest um entertainment and toy company in all of china and they are growing um very quickly and uh excitingly um to the rest of the world like europe and the u.s and latin america and um they uh some very exciting cool stuff and opportunities coming out down the pipe with that one, including uh, content and IP creation, new toys, new action brands that will launch in 2018 and beyond. And it's one of the toy business jobs you can afford for years and hope to get being a part of a new exciting enterprise that's going to hopefully put on kids' faces all over the world. So um, that's what I'm doing now.
0: All right. Well, congratulations to you. I mean, you know, It was a little tear when you left, I'm saying, you know, because it was um, because now let me I'm going to start from the sort of beginning. We're not going to start from the womb. It's fine. But (laughs) what I would like to know is what what inspired you to get into this line of field? Um, I
1: didn't go to school for marketing. I did not go to school for product development. That all kind of came after a fun little journey I had in journalism, which Um, really was, I think, just about 10 years uh, in TV. Um, So I was a journalism student. I got an internship um, at MTV News when I was 19 or 20. And I parlayed that with hard work and enthusiasm and just um, love of music and of working hard. And I ended up working at MTV for 10 years after that. um, At MTV News, MTV promos, production. Um, I was even in a fun little place where um, I worked on two pilots that were creations of my own that almost got greenlit and then fell apart and then which led of course to me going boy I can either keep trying to do this for you know the near future while trying to raise little babies because my son Jarvis was born at that point um, or I need to look for like more like steady like okay what's the next step of career work um MTV's owned by Viacom and Viacom is a very big, robust, diverse company that's got lots of really cool companies within it, one of which is Nickelodeon, and um, I was perusing and leafing through the job listings, because I think they were still hard copy then, it wasn't online, I'm talking like 2003, and I saw that there was a job at Nickelodeon up on the 42nd floor, um, and they were like, hey, we need someone in our toy department, I was like, toys? I know about toys? I was a massive collector of stuff.
0: What did you collect back then?
1: Let's see. At that point, that was probably the the zenith of my, um, like my kid robot and um, Toy 2R and Medicom days. So I was getting a lot of like real action hero, 12 inch, uh, you know, really nice figures as well as like the, I guess they coined the term back then, like the urban vinyl stuff. Um, So I was out of like the stuff that I grew up with and more into like art toy collecting at that point. But you know, It never left me how important like kids stuff was to me and you know I was always getting exposed to the kids stuff at Nickelodeon like um, you know Spongebob was hitting its stride at that point and um, all the classic Nick stuff from like the 90s so I was way into that stuff anyway and I think at that point Spongebob was getting to be bigger in consumer products Uh, Blue's Clues I think was winding down its heyday I know my first first son was raised on Blue's Clues Um, but Things like Invader Zim were popping, and um, I just you know loved and was proud to be part of, even peripherally, the Nickelodeon family. So once they had uh, a job posting for what was called a, a licensing coordinator, basically an entry-level job um, working for the licensing department at Nickelodeon, and then working with all the toy companies that then licensed the stuff to make products, that was my four-way into, uh, four-way into, into consumer products. Um, and I just loved doing it was really good at it and it unlocked a lot of like uh innate marketing sensibility I have and a passion for good creative stuff and just love for toys that within a short couple of years um especially short couple of years consisting of lots of trips to California to meet with all of our big partners like Mattel and Spinmaster and Jack Specific um I just kind of got the bug to move out to California and um, I used the great momentum I had at Nickelodeon to kind of help facilitate that. So
0: I let so it be known that
1: California this whole time,
0: was- the... this whole time you were on the East Coast?
1: Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, born and raised. That's right. Born in, the <laughs> That's <BX>. right. <laughs> born in the BX, raised in the BK. Thankfully, I had the best team at Nickelodeon ever. Like I had such wonderful incubation and support system there that helped to help me, you know, get as good as I was getting. So I, I'm still super thankful to the team I had there. Um, And they were really supportive of me and nurturing of me. So when I put my toe in the water and said to some folks, you know, out in California toy companies, hey, you know, it's not just the weather. I actually want to get that next level in toy marketing, you know, of experience and wisdom. And you can get so much of that working for a license store, but you're, you know, you're seeing every toy company out there. You know what everyone's doing. It's great exposure. But at the end of the day, your job is to defend and promote specific brands you work on at at a entertainment company so when you know when mattel comes in and goes here's what the next big toy is going to be here's how we're marketing it here's what we're going to do i was kind of getting kind of jealous on the other side of the table going well i want to come up with the ideas of toys too or i want to be working on the tv commercials to promote them and i want to know how it what it takes to get a toy to retail and get it through the the retail buyer's mind and then put it on shelf for kids so um again thanks to all the support i was getting at nick and to my own hard work and thankfully a little bit of a knack for what this crazy business is. I got two job offers like right off the bat when I said, Hey, I'm thinking of going to California. So uh, Mattel offered me a job and Jack specific op- uh, offered me a job. And this, so this is 2007 and Jack's was really like popping off big time. Um, they had probably the best young hungry doing things, marketing team there in their Malibu office. And they were like at a height of becoming like a billion dollar a year company. But not a bunch of like robots or stiffs or starched collars, which I think that was gonna be my more comfortable foray into, you know, picking up my entire family life, moving to California and then really digging in deep for a new part of my career. So I rolled with the crazy guys <laughs> and took the Jack's job over the Mattel job. And I had just a phenomenal, really exciting five or six year run there where I think uh, the toy stuff I helped work on, co-create or even just market um while the creative guys came up with some amazing new idea we got i think 12 if not 13 toy of the year nominations um which is like you know for this business like that's like the grammys the tonys Mm. you know there's no egot that has a a, a, a toady award in there but you could pretend the t stands for toadies
2: um
1: and uh so that that's what led me to to bandai eventually um after my good run at jacks i really was like There's a point toward the end there where I was working on like five or six brands all at once, which if you're hungry and you love this business, that's fun, but it can really burn you out too. And I was really starting to want to luxuriate and just live with one brand. And just with one brand, you get to know the DNA of it inside out and you get to live with it and you get to nurture it like like no other. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's a perfect preamble to A, why I chose Power Rangers and B, why I got so intimately into it. And so thoroughly happy working on it because um, there's such a great fan base. There's so many years of history. I mean, it really is a toy to- toy Hall of Fame, toy brand for someone who does this for a living. But it's also so much more to everyone who loves it, watches it, grew up with it, or discovers it after the fact. And it was exactly what I needed at that point in my life. So it's probably why I was so enthusiastic and why you guys saw me so happy and so involved as much as I
0: was. Because I remember, you know, and... Granted, like you, you've been at all these shows and, uh, you know, sometimes some faces look the same, you know, but what re- really stuck out to me was when I went to um, Toy Fair, New York Toy Fair, like a couple of years ago. And I mean, you know, you, know, you, you, t- you go through you're the tour with the regular Joe Schmo spiel. And then there's like a dude in the corner who's just like, hey, this is happening and that's happening. And this is what's going on. And like you were completely different in terms of like how you would like talk about the toys and deliver what, you know, points that you had to deliver and that sort of thing. And so I was just like, Oh, I like this guy. Oh, this, your name's Greg. Okay. My name's Lisa. We should talk. <laughs> so it's, it was, it was nice to see somebody who was enthusiastic legitimately enthusiastic. I'm not saying that everybody else isn't right. But like, it was nice to see somebody who was really passionate about, um, about the brand and about the, about power Rangers toys in general. So, you know, unless you're just a great actor, you know, you <laughs> know, I mean, so
1: I am not, I'd be in a different, I'd be in a different paycheck and tax status if I was a, an actor. <laughs> of an actor. Um, but I appreciate you saying that because it hundred percent sincere and hundred percent genuine. Um, I just liked working on it that much, and um, I I just, it's a nice thing to be able to to turn, not to turn it on, but to always have that energy level and enthusiasm for something that you like doing, and um, like I said, you guys, you guys and Power Rangers itself made that easy, and Mm. made that fun to do, so it was very natural, and and just very much part of me, and I'm glad, I'm glad it stuck out, because uh, I'd say the fans and the brand deserve that.
0: Now, were you, did you? watch the show like you're as as we're talking here you know we're all you know most of us are in our early 30s you know 30s you know what I'm saying you know so yeah. I think you might be a little older than that. so did you ever watch the show or have any type of series or character that you in particularly liked or could relate to or you know or you're just like oh okay you know I have a uh, an appreciation for this brand and I, and I and now i'm getting to know you guys and so now i'm becoming a fan or you know
1: by the time the show came on i was i think i was a senior in high school and i was still doing like i was working at a pizzeria for the most part but i was still like babysitting like cousins and whatnot like when you know the grown-ups wanted to have grown folk time and go out and i remember my little cousins the older one uh being into Ninja Turtles because he was with Turtles a little bit longer because you know I think they started getting into them like two or three years previous to that, but the little guy, six seven year old, he started bringing Power Rangers into the house and uh, and they would fight over which one was better. <laughs> and I had I had the fun honor and distinction of going guys 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 guys, hold up for a second, you know you can play with Turtles and Power Rangers together at the same time right. And they are like, what? I was like, yeah. I used to have G.I. Joe with Transformers messing around with Inhumanoids and fooling around with Star Wars all the time. You mix it up and you have a good time. Now, granted, this was before, like, what was it? Lost Galaxy or, when, uh, or In Space, whenever, whenever the Turtles and Power Rangers actually did right. me through that stroke of fate where Saban got the TV rights. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. This was before that. I taught these two kids to stop fighting and the older kid to stop beating up on the little one and go, let's play these together. And so some of the – and they would play the show sometimes. I'd be like, oh, boy, this reminds me of that – some of the old Hong Kong footage my uncles used to show me in the Bronx. They used to have those VHS tapes they get from the guy in the corner store. And uh, because, you know, I I guess I got that it was older Asian footage, but I didn't realize that, A, it was a huge phenomenon, uh, and, B, that there are these cool-looking different characters that kind of replace each other year after year. Mm. It was too early then to know that. But I loved – I remember loving the white ranger, thinking this guy's costume was very different from the rest of these guys. I want to play with this one. And sure enough, I realized later on, oh, yeah, he was from a different season in Japan. Um, but I thought there was something neat to it, and all at the same time, I was perplexed and puzzled by it. And I was also at that age, too, where this stuff isn't better than the stuff I grew up with. G.I. Joe is better than this. Transformers is better than this. And then years go on, and I keep seeing a cool character every now and then. Like I remember seeing um, – oh, good grief. I'm trying to remember which one. I, I, I realize now it ended up being mostly the six Rangers, but mm-hmm. I would see like random characters, like a black one or a silver one. And I go, oh, that's a badass looking guy. Oh, oh, that's a Power Ranger A and B. That's still on. And C, <laughs> oh man, he must be he must be the leader or the cool one or even in some cases like the bad guy, because um, he looked so badass. And um, so I was always constantly aware of it, and then surprised every couple of years, like, oh, good for them, man. They're still killing it. They're still they're still popular. Um, and at that point, like I said, I was getting out of the more like kid-focused stuff and into the more like you know grown-up version of collecting toys. So of um,
2: mm. it became
1: le- it became less up on my radar. And, and then I'd, I'd see kids in the neighborhood wearing a new Power Ranger shirt with, okay, that's a Red Ranger, but that's a different helmet. Oh, it's a different outfit. Oh, oh, it's a Jungle Guy. Okay, cool, cool. I can go with this. And um, and realizing, okay, this brand's not going anywhere. People love Power Rangers. This is cool.
0: Well, that's good, because you need to be brainwashed. Hello. Like, <laughs> anybody got time for you and your shenanigans against the Power Rangers? No. Um, but, so, I mean, from us, now, I guess my question, and you know, and my, my other co-hosts, they'll be jumping in real soon with their questions, because we got lots of them. But for me, at Bandai, when you were at Bandai, what in particular were you, where was the hierarchy, you know, in terms of, like, who you answer to, and who is under you, and what what were your what was your role um, when you were with them?
1: Gotcha. Um, so I was brought in as a senior marketing director or senior uh, director of brand management. Um, that's that's the title I, I left Jacks at as well. So um, what that means is, at that level, you're usually reporting directly to the vice president, or if there's um, you know a different hierarchy and, and terminology for people above either that or the the senior vice president who happens whoever happens to be in charge um at the bandai america office there's a split executive hierarchy where you have japanese executives who as part of their um career i say career because anyone who's from japan and works at bandai it's not a stepping stone job it's a it's like my dad when he worked at ibm for 30 years like these mm. guys are are entrenched They live and essentially grow up with the company and become, uh, you know, executives and product engineers and really just Bandai family from their 20s and onward. So you've got executive staff there that are um, from Japan, um, you know, who lived there, but now are uh, basically expats living in uh, uh, the U.S. and helping to head up the Bandai America office. And then you have the U.S. staff of, um, you know, marketing people, salespeople and toy people who know the depth and intricacies of the, you know, the U S and Canada and European toy market, um, which has some similarities to the Japanese, but as you guys know, as product fans and power Rangers junkies, there's also a lot of dis- uh, um, uh, dissimilarities as well.
0: Okay. And so, um, so when you, there were certain things that you, um, in your position had to be in charge of or came up with or what have you, so, you know, maybe just rattle off a couple of things that, you know, that was, uh, that was a Greg idea, you know, toot your own horn a little bit,
1: <laughs> but my horn is always tooted when the group does a great job together. So right, while I may not be singularly, you know, the, 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 silver bullet or smoking gun on a bunch of these things, I will say this when we got there and we had a team starting to really build and this is, I got there and God, you, y'all, y'all saw me for the first time I'd say, uh probably October, New York Toy Fair, I'm sorry, New York Comic Con in October 2013.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Legacy line had started, so you had some Legacy skews already. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that excited me coming in fresh was like, wow, you guys have obviously a great kids' Nickelodeon show and kids' line, and you do have this growing, swelling fan base of kids who are now adults who grew up with the show and are, you know, to them, M- Mighty Morphin is their Star Wars or it is their Transformers G1, or it is their G.I. Joe 1982 through 1984. And um, the team had done a nice job of kind of slowly, but very conservatively eking out like, okay, here's the Legacy Megazord, and here's Legacy Morpher. And everyone was encouraged by the fan support for those items. So one of the things I got to do um, on the more Legacy Collector side is kind of propose ways for us to kind of grow that and expand it. But... and and no sales guy ever wants to hear this and most people that are in charge of like the marketing departments who have big lofty sales goals every year or budget goals every year don't necessarily want to hear this but my recommendation was grow it strongly but also grow it conservatively meaning go on the journey with fans but don't bankrupt each other you put out too many good expensive oh wow those are gorgeous SKUs a year and SKUs Mm is um, shorthand for you know an item number you could potentially bleed the wallet of the person that you are there to serve and care for in the first place. Um, so, kind of figuring out okay, uh, a, a Megazord, that seems to be the way to go, a legacy level of Megazord. And what's next then? Okay, Legacy Morpher. How many things per year do you put out, and at what prices, and at what kind of rate of release do you do to make fans happy? Make them want to get out and buy what's out there right now. And then also maybe plan their purchases for six months, nine months, 12, 12 months down the road.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was something that me and my boss got really excited and deeply involved with um, and really led the efforts to take it away from, uh, you know, I think it was a pretty much an easy no brainer for everyone to go, hey, let's do the legacy first megazord. But from that point on, everyone was like, oh well, gosh, will the dragon's sword sell as much? Maybe it's not a matter if it sells as much maybe it's a matter of we do it to the right level of justice and quality and um, and release strategy If it's great people will come for it because that love is out there And then we applied that to things like the dragon dagger and then to Saba and the white tiger sword again Some of these are easy pitches to hit because you guys love those characters so much but if we did them too fast if we did them sloppy if we got lazy if we didn't keep trying to push the envelope um, on the quality, and unfortunately that sometimes meant the prices creeping up too, um, you guys would have rejected it and not gone for it. So that took a lot of like thought, furrowing of brows, wringing of knuckles, and strategy. But we loved doing it, and um, and the the DNA was always there to go. Okay, gosh, pretty soon, you know, another year or two, or two or three years, we're going to be out of Mighty Morphin, and we got fans out there who want to see other series. So I really, I worked really hard to create like a two year and a three year and a five year plan of stuff that the team could really sink its teeth into and then hopefully get you guys excited about it in the legacy line. In parallel to that, I basically, um, with a great, great, excellent advertising agency, um, basically creative directed every um, toy TV commercial that we did from October 13 all the way till. I think the, the ones that were I was working on just before I left are right now just starting to air. I think the movie ones, and I think the first Ninja Steel commercial will start airing any any day or week now. Um, that was another thing that I threw myself very deeply into because hey, having a TV background didn't hurt. Right. But also loving, you know, the, the, the format of telling a story, getting excited about how cool product looks, and and our angle was especially was putting a kid in the action and having Rangers in the commercial if you go back on youtube and look at all those commercials sometimes you'll never see an actual power ranger and you'll just see a figure mm-hmm. other times you'll see nothing but power rangers but you'll never see a kid in there and um i loved having um you guys might recognize him by sight but his name is logan smith um amazing acrobat gymnast he's now a swordsman he's now like he, he's now a, a fully fledged young stunt guy um but having him be every boy out there and be like, wow, what would it be like if I could fight alongside the power, the red Ranger, or what if I could drop kick, you know, an evil guy from mega force or super mega force and putting together TV commercials that basically, um, you know, supported that. Um, and then I was super stoked that, that Ranger keys, uh, CG commercial that we did in 14, that thing I think's got like 22 million views on YouTube right now. Um, it's been out for, I think about two and a half years. So it took a little bit time to get there, but, Holy cow, you guys reacted really nicely to that. And that was fun. That was the first time Power Rangers ever introduced any kind of CG format. So that was a big, like, whoa, on you know for Saban at first, when we kind of presented him that concept. But it was simple. We had Sony Ranger keys, and they unlocked the Power, which is, the, of course, the tagline we came up with. And so many of those toys, we wanted to bring that to life in a way that showed that how, how tons many of them were, but also them activating the toys in amazing, cool ways, but not maybe just in a kid's hand um so that was another good one that was another nice highlight um and then working on the movie holy cow that was great i will tell you this saban lionsgate and bandai had a great partnership in coming up with cool creative ideas that were toy driven and maybe you know made for good movie fodder as well as well as developing stuff for the big screen that would you know also be good toys to either play with or to collect on your shelf and that was a nice fun i want to say two and a half year Journey on that one. I think we started taking our first meetings and trying to influence the script. God, as early as I want to say, late 2014, maybe. Hmm. Hmm. So. And,
3: and speaking of influencing scripts, like especially for the movie, do you guys like get a copy and then write down, put more toy here, or what? what what's the process <laughs> for that? And, and for the just show too. Like
0: that. That terminology. Yes. Put more more toy, toy, here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You don't have to say that too often working on Power Rangers because I mean. I, I'm, I'm sure if the FCC or somebody ever looked too closely, they go, "Wow, this is potentially a giant toy commercial, I kid." Um, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's so toyetic, right? The Rangers have cool costumes and they have cool weaponry, as we call it, battle gear, because Power Rangers don't attack; they defend. So we call it battle gear instead of weapons. And, um, but then, of course, you've got it's the only property that's got cool vehicles that also turn into a giant robot. Um, but, but, the Rangers are still the heroes. So that's a really cool thing. you know, Transformers, transformers are transformers. They're sentient robots that do their thing. Um, but you know, the humans are almost like peripheral, secondary or even tertiary. In this case, you had super cool kid heroes as well as really cool vehicles that also turn into, oh, yeah, a giant robot. So whether it's a TV show and there's two it was two different processes. Obviously, the TV show being um, produced by Toei in Japan initially, and then, of course, um, co-produced by. Um, you know, Sabah, when they bring it to the U.S., there's tons of great toy ideas in there. The, the challenge and fun opportunity with the toy, with the TV show was, what kind of stuff can we come up with that maybe wasn't in the Japanese line, or or was a great kernel of an idea in the TV show that could be maybe exploited even better or or differently here in the U.S. Uh, versus the movie, which is how do you respectfully launch a film franchise? without making it so overtly commercial that people like just eye roll and go, Oh, right. It's a cash grab, but at the same time, grow your toy business meaningfully. Um, so there was, the, I can't divulge too much about the script process with the movie um, just yet, especially cause we're still in the, you know, several weeks away from the, the, the awesome thing coming out. But um, yeah, we, I was, I'm proud to say we had a big seat at the table to go, Hey, have we thought about adding this or we've got this in there? What if we, did it differently and challenged ourselves, even in a way like of doing things like, you know, we, even as a toy company, haven't done before. Um, now that toys are out, you can see it for yourself. So it's an easy example to point out. But, you know, think about the last time, if ever, there was a Bandai Power Rangers toy where you could actually put a ranger, you know, inside, inside. of a zord. Usually mm-hmm. the, the rangers are directing the zords and, and the zords are almost like parallel fighting with and for the rangers. And it was really just, you know, like an, oh yeah, yet dumb moment for all of us in the room. We went, yeah, I mean, think about it. These are teenage kids. They're, on top of all the things about being a teenage kid, imagine trying to learn how to drive a car, right? Or the first thing you want to do when you turn, you're a, you know, a teenager, oh, get my driver's license. Well, imagine if you had to drive one of these things. And, um, and you know, with video game culture being so prevalent and kids wearing headsets, talking to each other while controlling things, whether it's a first-person shooter or playing, like, a racing game, um, it was such a inherent and... Perfectly endemic thing to expect that these kids, on top of all this other responsibility being heaped on their shoulders, as you know, new rangers. Oh, they got to drive a zord. Oh, snap! Mm-hmm. And that is a new play pattern for us. Our figures and our zords and our figures and our megazords were pretty independent of each other, and we wanted to to plug that in in a, in a fun, cool, new way. And there was a, a perfect harmony between Dean's team, Saban's team, and us and seeing that that should come through, come to fruition for sure.
4: She said so much, I have like nine questions.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, my thing is, is there is it the same sort of thing for the TV show? I mean, obviously you have footage to deal with and you said about, you know, expanding on certain things in the show. But is it really collaborative where you sit down with an already written script? Or even before the show starts, do you sit down and say, hey, can you add this, that, or the other thing?
1: Right. Well, you know, that's a timely question. I'll tell you why. Because you guys just got the first glimpse of next season's Japanese series, right? Yes.
0: just mm-hmm. still, Yes. We got the yeah. teaser trailer, yeah
1: right mm-hmm. well that's of course that's for you know the u.s version of uh ninja but the all the stuff that's leaking now or, or was officially announced by toei in japan about for the space oh
0: for the space one ranger yeah yeah yes. yeah
1: so that's a good example so while um i guess while trains was finishing and while they were already doing um what i was by lovingly and jokingly referred to as the um, the the animal Minecraft version of, uh, of Sentai <laughs> yeah. that was already that was already underway. We got very early exposure to sit down in a room with people from Bandai and Toei, and this I think this was might have been the first time the U.S. office got that firm of a seat at the table to go, hey, let's let's talk through the next concept together. I think usually Bandai of Japan would just kind of present it to Bandai of America, almost like, okay, here's what you're going to be working on potentially in a year or two. In this case, we were trying to influence. To make Power Rangers as competitive and exciting as possible and knowing that the competitive landscape for boys' toys has changed so much over here, um, mostly driven by, like, all the theatrical stuff. Like, think of how – think about old Marvel versus the Marvel of every Marvel movie since, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man or Jon Favreau's Iron Man. You know, Marvel upped their game up sincerely. I mean, when it comes to everything from protecting backstory but creating – badass cg you are making their heroes not just people in tights but really badass kick-ass cool costuming they really raised the bar for what superheroes look like you know compared to the previous 10 15 20 even 30 years and in, in at the same time little kids were seeing these as the new superheroes you know think about captain america they used to wear red white and blue spandex his costume became more cool and tactical looking and he aged up the look of, a, of a, what was a classic hero um so we were constantly bringing examples like that never to to undermine what makes power rangers power rangers but to say help let us let us let us help to form the shape of power rangers as respectfully as possible to make it as competitive as possible in the u.s because it's you look at toy shelves it's tough man mm-hmm. especially you walk in right now It's almost all star wars as it should be because it's a star wars movie month um but it's also tons of marvel um wrestling's different because they don't wear clothes for the most part anyway and they have (laughs) some funky masks (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they're a different type of superhero and we needed to have power rangers always have a good place in that ecosystem where kids could always know a ranger if he saw one but he could also go "Hmm, all right that's a different looking power ranger or oh wow that power ranger never looked as cool as that before so we got brought in pretty early in on this newer series and got to hear what the creative pitch was for the DNA of the show, which, of course, yeah, it was like this kind of space, cosmos, Zodiac type of thing, which we got excited about. And then yes. we got to help at the conceptual stage really think about, OK, what could the Zords be? What could the weaponry be? What could the, you know, in this kind of show, what would be the Ranger key or the Dino Charger? Um, and that was exciting. Um, and then I'd say maybe eh, six, nine months later, after some creative work had been done on the Japanese side, we got presented what the progress looked like. And we got excited about a lot of it and had questions for some of the other parts of it and said, oh, my God, do you ever think about this or that's a perfect idea. Don't change it. And that gave, we got more early on exposure for that series than we, I think, had gotten at all since, um, you know, since the, the Saban repurchase back in 2011. And, you know, Bandai was back back in the saddle with the, uh, you know, brand new Power Ranger stuff
0: again. And, we can and, that's, a tra- and that's a credit to the saying, Japanese team. I mean, I'm, I'm not, yeah. look, look, I'm going to just, just say, because the, the the Tokyo, <laughs> that was rough, y'all. Like, oh the, it, was, it was was rough. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, I didn't watch the show. I mean, I watched like a couple episodes, but just the costumes alone. It's and pretty it, bad. And the to- it was rough. Like, and I'm just like, y'all skipped over Go Busters. But, well, and then, and then, and then y'all make this and nobody got time. So I guess,
4: the, I guess that's the question is like, did you have anything like, do they, were you actually in the room? Cause they can pick from two seasons. Like when it's like, okay, yeah. we have ninjas and we have trains. Do you say anything at that point in time? Or does Saban make the decision completely or. That's What's where the
1: part, that's where the partnership has to be strong. And we have to all kind of debate the merits of one season uh, versus, you know, some of the things that aren't as easily marketable or, you know, the, or the Zords aren't as compelling in this one season versus the other. And uh, there's there is no silver bullet season. I think Dino, I think Karuger was closest because it had really good battle gear. You know, a Morpher mm-hmm. that's also a gun in the U.S. market. That's like hello, if you just sort <laughs> yeah. of it being mm-hmm. a Nerf gun, you couldn't ask for anything better. <laughs> um, the costumes were cool, and of course the Zords and the theme itself. I mean, that was that's the closest to like a no-brainer. Yeah, we should be doing Karuger next kind of decision. Right. Um, but there, you know, I'd say every other season before it, uh, in you know, the couple of years before it and every season since there's pluses and minuses to every one of those seasons. And I remember that within the first couple of weeks of me getting there, um, the go busters question came up because ruder had not been, you know, determined at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was my first, like, okay, you're the fresh new, new brain here and you're not, you, you don't have the, the bias or anything. Look at these different series and what do you think are the right ones to go with? And there's so much I liked about Go Busters, mm. um, but there were certain things about that that didn't compare and stack as favorably to, um, you know, what ended up being Dino Charge. And at the same time, there's so much about Go Busters that was heads and shoulders, uh, uh, head, from top to bottom, exponentially better than, say, yeah, the the, the, the Toku Choo Choo ones. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's it's and it, it, every single year has its pluses and minuses. I would say I could say this as a fan now I'm not working on it anymore but you know I I had a personal struggle with um with was was becoming ninja steel going these are the seasons where it's tough for me where if the zords don't have a cohesive theme and it's kind of like how megaforce was where it's like well there's a train and then here's some other type of dump truck thing, or and there's yeah. a flying bird, like a megaforce of course, and then the ninja, you know, there's, and there's a white wolf! <laughs> it's like, <laughs> those are the toughest mm-hmm. ones for me, and that's the kind of stuff I was tasked with bringing to the, you know, whether it was an internal meeting, or meeting with our executives who were saying, hey, Japan wants to know what we want to move forward with, or then even taking that collective opinion and then going to Saban with it, and saying, Saban, what do we think? You know, what's our what's our, what's our our partnership? What's going to benefit us all the best? And that's that was part of the game. Um, and then another thing you have to consider too is you know super sente is different in japan than it is in the u.s in that um it's it's essentially the little brother of um common rider and if common rider is geared for an older boy chances are they're going to be on cool badass motorcycles and you know have really cool kick-ass you know space armor costumes compared to the little brother show of super sente which yeah younger kids like trains younger kids like dinosaurs younger kids like rescue heroes and um you know um toei and the, the 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 network they have to be very careful of that they've got a great you know um, boys portfolio that has to complement each other and not cannibalize and steal from each other so they you know they, their their ideal situation is they have lots of happy little boys who love sente and they have ha- lots of happy bigger boys who love um common uh, rider and they're not losing any of them to you know things like yokai watch which came out like a storm while we were all working on power rangers and um, you know, uh, other competitive properties. They have they have a great portfolio that they have to manage, and it's deferential to one another. So if they make Power Rangers or you know Super Sentai over there too cool, and uh, and I, I say cool in the sense of like give them you know mech armor to, for each ranger to wear, and they make them look too much like Common Rider. Well, now they're basically trying to shove two shows onto the same consumer, and that doesn't work for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so to bring back what is essentially a younger version of that into the U.S., we we we, we want to. Make it as big boy as we possibly can, so it does serve little boys and big boys, because we don't have a common Rider to, you know, to compare it to or to be deferential to. We have Power Rangers, and that's the most important thing in the world to us.
0: Look, so p- super sense, y'all ain't never gonna look like common Rider cause common Rider always trying to look like a bug. Anybody got time? So, like, <laughs> that's,
1: they love that's never bugs. happening. They love their bugs. Oh my gosh,
0: but anyway but uh, yes jeremiah i'm sorry i I call him jeremiah that's not his name jeremy um jeremy (laughs) i know you had some other bubbling questions for greg
4: yeah well um i don't want to go back to first but i guess with like the (laughs) legacy legacy stuff right um i know we were talking about it at pmc like and you were talking about you know price differences and if it's going to sell but the question that everybody still has is like what was the status of tor was that ever going to happen
1: it's it's still on the short list but i think it's the same considerations it's it's can they make the right number of them and at the right price to make it worth everyone's while meaning your guys while do we make enough of them but not over make them and to the company's while you know is it a profitable item um the bigger the items are the more expensive they are and the better quality which you guys love and which you know we worked really hard to make sure we were known for. Um, you you got to put all the, the bells and whistles in there. That means die cast parts. That means you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: plating where you can do it. That means really just nice, gorgeous, um, you know, looks as well as stability. You know, like when when uh, when our when our uh, Megazord was a little wonky and wasn't standing right. You know, we we, we hustled to make him stand right because we know that if you spend two hundred dollars on something, it better look good and it better, better stand, stand good. right. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. <laughs>
1: so. So sure. so and Tor is funny because it's it's like a bigger version of Titanus and Titanus was tough to pull off at two hundred bucks.
4: Yeah, um, understandable. Yeah. Um. So like you know you're talking about your your long plan for the line and everything. Um, and moving on and stuff like that. And right now you know we're in season three stuff. But is that was there any sort of actual internal fear or trepidation of like moving on to Zeo? Because I know everybody loves MPR. Yeah. Yeah. It was less it
1: was less trepidation about moving on to Zio and more like, Hey, will Zio will Zio be as meaningful as Mighty Morphin seasons one, two, and three were? And so that's and, and I recognize that I recognize how logical that concern is. And I think part of my job for a good long while there was to sit and think about well, how do we do that? How do we again, how do we strike that balance of never oversaturating the fan with too many options that could steal his or her, you know, Cash out of their wallet unfairly, but you lean more into that, you know, non mighty morphin stuff because there was, for every five mighty morphin fans who were buying everything, mighty morphin, you had one or two more vocal ones going, well, When am I going to get my series? I'm so tired of this mighty morphin stuff. What else could I possibly buy a mighty morphin? So, part of the plan that I uh, helped kind of spearhead and put together was as we lean into other series, we do it meaningfully. give give everyone the the stuff they're hoping and looking for, but also look for different ways to really celebrate Mighty Morphin and start doing it in different formats or different scales. I was really glad about the legacy figures because that was the perfect petri dish for that. Um, because it does get other classic characters out there and it really whets the appetite for the fan, but also shows and and validates to the retailers who, you know, they take take a risk on this too because they buy buy this stuff in order to sell it to y'all. Hey, look, it's not just that 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 first Mighty Morphin Classic series, it's also other ones too. Look how these figures are flying off the shelves. Um, now we, what they want next from Zio, they're gonna want the Zianizers, or they're gonna want yes!
2: this Megazord. So
1: yep. so you know, let's <laughs> let's all take the journey together. And and every you're only as good as your last you know hit or success in any business, especially the toy business. But when you have a long-term relationship with a retailer, and hence with the fans, you gotta kind of inch along and go look we knocked it out of the park in the last one and we also know where we came up short taking that lesson learned let's get some new characters out there via a 20 figure that's really good quality and every fan whether the casual or you know super fan will love and the super fans will really show their love by also coming out and you know yeah it's time to move on to the next morpher that was the zeonizer come on let's do this mm. you know let's let's get that it might be 80 bucks or 100 bucks but let's get that Let's get that Zio staff out there. Let's let's do this right.
0: Nice. Let's do a legacy morpholine. I'm just saying. Right. of, right? You know, kind of live in the Zio moment for a minute. I'm just, you know, no bias. Yes. No bias. Right.
4: <laughs> yeah. um, you, no. Is there all of the bias? Right. Well, <laughs> you you mentioned um, coming up short. Is there anything specifically that you would say like this is an idea we tried? We thought it was really good, and for whatever reason, it didn't work. I would say that the biggest,
1: the biggest stubbing of the the, the, the the toe on the on the bedpost, as they say, was not being able to reconcile, or I, you know what, I'll say the biggest lesson learned is reconciling someone like Titanus, a beloved character, but you know, is he is he as beloved as any of the Megazords or even Serpentera, or and this tees up the whole tour conversation. It's like. You know, what's the right price? Could we, could we've gotten it less expensive? No, we, we tried every which way. In fact, the first version we had of him that we were going to put out was going to be more expensive, and we knew that was would have been disastrous. It's, it's trying to strike that balance between the right level of quality and the right price. And what we noticed is that he didn't, he didn't fly off the shelves when we first put him out there, but when the price dropped to 170, and when Toys R Us was even getting aggressive and going, you know, dropped down to 150 and 130 then you couldn't find him like he flew off mm-hmm. the shelf so it's like crap there's a magic price point here what do you do do you do you try to produce to that magic price point or do you just kind of still hold hands with everybody and still trust everybody and by trusting everybody i mean, I mean you guys fans that if you do something beautiful that is really that great ca- character quality of a character they love will they will they come out and and how do you do right by them but with the price at the same time and that's that's there's no scientific way of cracking that. Like you have to basically do it every time you come up to, to the plate and realize, okay, what can we do differently? What can we do the same? What could we do better? And that's that's that that'll result in whether or not you know a serpentera or a Tor you know, makes it on the shelves. I think. Um, but my my job was to not let everybody get discouraged by Titanus, not to go, oh, see, see, we shouldn't do these. If anything, it's like no, <laughs> there's there's nuance in this and lessons to be learned from this that we can put out superb product at the right price at the right time of year in the right quantities so let's just what's let's, let's work on every item and figure that out all
4: right um so in that same vein what would you say about the success level of the black and gold like is that something you would you that you, you think they would continue or you know
1: I think the, the the conversation when I left there, uh, and I'm not saying I shouldn't, I think it's stuff we've talked about, you know, even forecasted that we would talk about, you know, a couple black and golds ago, was that at what point, at what point did the fan say, okay, I'm black and gold out, because really, if anything, I completed my the black and gold version of my, you know, my full suite of Mighty Morphin, you know, the Megazords, and, and, and Carrier Zords, and Secondary Zords, that would have been in that colorway. You know, so you've got, um obviously the the dino megazord and you've got dragon zord and you got white tiger you know titanus um you know if there's reason if there's a reason to do it it's meaningful that you can create a, you know a, a, a total you know ultimate megazord that's all black and gold that's perfect reason to have a black and gold if there's reason beyond that just because you like the colorway, you know you guys will help determine that just as much as anyone at bandai um especially if you know there's different voices or opinions at the Bandai table. You might have newer people to the brand who go, you know, who cares about black and gold? Or newer people at the table go, black and gold sells. Let's do more of them. You might have more wizened and seasoned, experienced Bandai people going, well, wait a minute. They were black and gold because of this reason. You can't just arbitrarily make something black and gold. So, you know, you guys going, hey, guys, we know we're the black and gold experts. We'll tell you when to stop or when to start. <laughs> you guys, You guys can help determine that fate.
0: You know what right. figures look good in black and gold? You know that gold ranger from Zeo. You know, he actually looks kind of <laughs> nice. He, yes. he is I, I black never, and I've gold. Never, I've never heard of him. Like, you yeah, might have seen a picture. You know, yes. this, yeah, <laughs> that season is actually kind of nice. Maybe we need to... I okay, feel I like... Think I've
1: right? my Listen, knowing how long I have to sit on this stuff the, informationally and how hard I worked to, to kind of, you know, case study it and promote the idea of doing it, the, 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 the nice cheers and clapping when we showed the zeo figure you know a possibility at the at the at morphecon and the panel that mm-hmm. made it worthwhile and that made people go okay sure it's a sample shot of clearly you know crazy good power rangers fans but if they're the ones who love buying this stuff and buy multiples of them okay yes we made a good decision we'll do zeo and i was like i told y'all
0: <laughs> <laughs> well to tell me twice hello uh-
4: and you were talking about, like, you know, trying to service multiple seasons at once. The whole idea of having the legacy figures where you're dipping into two different seasons at the same time and you're picking two seasons that aren't really close to each other. When you put Zio and Dino Thunder together, you were preaching to the choir right here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Now, here's, uh, just to show you, I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that, so thank you. But just to show you that I'm completely fair and, and objective and magnanimous, whether you guys. End up hating it, resenting it, or if you love it, I will. I will cop to being the guy that was probably the biggest advocate for splitting up multiple seasons within series. The conventional wisdom would be to wave one Mighty Morphin, wave 1.5 still Mighty Morphin because there's more of them, uh, you know. Wave three onward, then you're getting complete full teams, Mighty- and there's wisdom to that. If wave There is that consumer who would Morphin. go and he would buy his entire <laughs> team. She would buy her five favorite Rangers and hope for the gold one or, you know, the seventh one in a Toys R Us pack and be ready for the next one. But then what ends up happening is then you go into, well, do we do them chronologically or do we bounce around seasons based on the stronger seasons? And then once you've done the stronger seasons, let's face it, we all have a couple of Power Ranger seasons. We don't give a, a single AF about right.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and,
1: and, you know, me, I'll, I'll say it. I would I'd be like, oh, they, they put out Force now. I'm going to sit this one out.
2: Yeah. The problem yeah. with
1: yeah. the problem with collector's product is you can't the retailer can't have anyone sitting one out because especially with a, an assortment based business like an action figure, where the productivity, which means you know, how many items they're selling on that peg and how quickly they're doing it, is what makes or breaks the action figure aisle. You can't have a stinker um, you can't have a stinker wave on there even the best brands have one or two stinker figures in any given wave and you either plan on it or you're shocked and saddened by it. Um, I mean, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. But when, when the first black series star Wars figures in six inch scale came out, um, and I would have guessed it was one of the first one to sell, but it's probably my bias. Um, <clears throat> return of the Jedi bikini Leia sat there and clogged up the shelf and maybe they only sorted one or two of her per, um, case pack of figures when they mailed, when they shipped them to the retailers but if you went on certain days of the week and you went to the Black Series Star Wars section, there was only <laughs> Slave Leia on the shelf, and you're like, "Where's my Boba Fett? Where's my Darth Vader?" Um, mm-hmm. So every every brand has that, and again, defies logic to me that beautiful Princess Leia would be the one sitting there, hanging out on shelf all alone, no one buying her. But if you, but that goes back into the rationale of well, what's the best way to put these figures on shelf? And I was very much from early on all the way until everyone agreed to i was very much the early advocate for let's not do the series chronologically let's not do full teams in full complete waves but if we do bounce around we can always augment the super strong series with series that and i hate using this kind of terminology because my c plus is maybe one of y'all's a minus but people have different loves for different years and different seasons whether this season was great or this season was straight up dookie (laughs) <laughs> or it was a okay season, but it happened to be in your favorite year of your childhood that you will always love and take with you no matter where you go. And we have to somehow scientifically and magically make everyone happy with these waves because if any of them don't sell through, the retail buyer goes, Ugh, Power Rangers Legacy, yeah, it started off selling really great, but then they got to these characters that no one knows or cares about, and now they're dead. Right. You know, Marvel Legends doesn't do that. Star Wars Black Series doesn't do that. WWE doesn't do that. So it really forced us to go, okay, what's the best way to sort these and mix these? So I will take I will take the personal responsibility, whether you guys hate it or if you like it, to say I was very much a proponent of let's split up this let's split up a wave across two seasons, keep people coming back and excited and hoping and fingers crossing. And I I put together like a gosh. I put together a wave plan that they can either ignore or 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 um you know, actually execute upon. It's up to them because it's their company now. But all the way into, I want to say, fall of 2019, um, and they can deviate from it all they want, or you guys can say certain things that make can go, Oh God, no, let's take that wave out and put this other wave in instead. That people keep asking about Psycho Rangers, or people keep asking yes. about, you know, RPM. And so you guys still have influence on that. But I gave them based on your most of your guys' influence, and you know history of the show um you know a line plan that they can either deviate from or write checks against and hopefully you guys would like it
0: <laughs> well i think no i think it was it's a it was a good idea to split them up you know because you know i i will i will cop to be like um yeah so money morphin if y'all put all them out i buy all them done and then uh you get the zeo done mm-hmm. that, that'll be it I'm done. Then eventually, some
4: (laughs) eventually someone has to buy Wild Force, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's true that was that was those were if those were your golden years with the with the property, and when you have a series that's around for twenty something at this point twenty five or more years, that's that's very much reality. Yeah. Not everyone you're gonna have complete completionists and collectors, but completionists and collectors typically don't carry a business at a big store like Target or Walmart, where there's three thousand locations across the country and each one of them has to have strong sales on a brand to make sure that the brand is healthy and strong there. Um, you know, collector stuff you can do all day and night as long as you get the right price and, you know, you, do, you make enough of them. Um, but to have the legacy figures be Power Rangers' first big splash in the, the more mass market, mass toy store pool, it had to work. And, um, you know, thankfully Hasbro has a lot of, like, really dedicated people on their teams that really live with Marvel and really luxuriate and know Star Wars more than anything and they do a good job of balancing all that and uh, it, it it validated to the retail buyers and i say the buyers they're the people that make the decisions of what stuff to carry in the store mm-hmm. um they they have to be happy with the stuff that they carry um so it validated to them that hey you know this is a new format of figure it's not your three and three-quarter inch figure and it's not your jack specific you know 20 or 31 inch big novelty figure this is a collector's figure but you know at a Pretty relatively low mass price point of 20 bucks, not 50 or 60 or 100 bucks. And thankfully, it's working. And I hope I hope you guys like them, and I hope you guys help keep them working because, like I said, there's some great characters and waves just kind of sitting there in the incubator waiting to come out.
3: So here's here's a question for you, my good sir. Uh, You've interacted with fans quite a bit. And so what is the what are some of the big misconceptions that fans have that you want to clear up, like whether it be about like the toy making process, about what gets picked, anything like that?
1: Uh, it's in the information age we live in and the, the, the communities that we have, whether it's a YouTube comment section or whether it's, a, you know, a message board or even just, you know, a Reddit sub post. People are more knowledgeable now than they ever have been before. So that's always kind of fun. And gratifying to see, like people are. That's how I always was growing up. If I'm into something, I'm into it 100%. I was into music growing up. I read the liner notes on the record sleeves. Yeah, records. That's right. Big pieces of and vinyl. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
1: I knew I knew who produced and engineered an album I loved, and I knew who played saxophone or vibraphone or keyboard or electric guitar on a record. And fans have that access to information with the things that they love. So that always pleasantly surprised me. I always say I won't. One thing I'll say is, and I would gripe about this as a fan too, but it's tough to convey. But then again, the Power Rangers fan base has just as many people who go, oh, okay, that, no, that makes sense. I get that. Or I can empathize as they do, haters and, and you know people that want to just mouth off, is there's certain economics to making toys that that, that are, are very important variables in whether or not you can A, make something at all, or B, make something to the level of deep detail and quality that you might expect. And the legacy line that's easier to do. But it's just because we're charging more for it. It's more expensive, and you guys are along for that ride. Like, okay, I get it. I'm gonna pay $200 for this mega sword, but I know there's some gold in there, and you know there's some high, heavy die casts and there's only gonna be 10,000 of them, so it's kind of limited edition. But the more mass stuff was always uh, is always more of a challenge. And you know, I, I was watching um, I was watching Bruno's unboxing videos for the Ninja Steel stuff on MMPR earlier today, and um, you know, as a, as a fan and also as someone who makes things for a living, I a hundred percent empathize and agree with like how, Oh man, I wish the deco on this was more, I wish there's more paint on this guy. I wish Passandra's costume could have every level of, you know, uh, pinkness and stripiness and, um, and, uh, and I wish, you know, and I wish the movies or had extra little hits of, you know, paint or scratchiness to them here and there. Um, it's not to say that I don't stand by the stuff we make that I'm not proud of the stuff we make, but I always find it, it's, it's prudent to be able to, like, to, rather than be offended or just say, oh, fans don't know. Fans do know, and they do love. And if they, what they don't know, they want to know. So I always try to make it a point of like, well, yeah, I agree with you. I would love to put more paint on that. Um, here's the economics of toy making. Right now, things like painting uh, are expensive. And if you see that, even in the Hasbro's Avengers and you know, Captain America's Civil War line, um, the Hulkbuster had less articulation, And less paint, but had a super battery-operated, you know, multi-punch thing. And you trade off certain things for other things. You know, you trade off features for sometimes level of deco and detail. Sometimes you trade off articulation for, you know, the opportunity to have some cool lights and sounds or a special magical feature. And if it's a really kid-driven toy, if it's a collector-driven toy, you better put every little lick of deco, paint, and, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and armor detail in that figure. Otherwise, you know, you're not doing your job.
2: Well,
4: I mean, like, that's like the age old question that you hear from, um, older fans every single year with the line and they look at the toys and they say, well, with the Mecha and with the Morpher, they're like, well, why didn't you just use the Japanese one? Why did you Mm -hmm. have to make it smaller and take stuff out of it?
1: It's true. It's it, it all comes down to the ugly economics of making toys in the different market conditions. Um, in Japan, um, I talked before about how you know Super Sentai and Common um, Rider creates almost like this great boys block that's you know um, you know co-produced and 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 co-partnered with you know, between Toei and, and Bandai for you know upwards of twenty five years. Um, they have that kind of leverage and in the Japanese toy retail environment to make things bigger and hence to make them more expensive. Like I think you know you look at the the Japanese price of a Morpher or of a Megazord. If you brought that same item here and converted the Japanese currency to U.S. currency, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's a $100 Megazord. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause can the U.S. retail market bear a $100 Megazord every year? And, you know, there's certain seasons, there's sometimes two, three and four Megazords. So it becomes, a, you know, that's just one example of the Megazord that becomes a function of, OK, how many how many can a company sell at what price and serve the fandom, you know, in a mass market? And all those little tiny miniature Venn diagrams all kind of coalesce and bubble up into one big Venn diagram of okay, you know what's your cost for your item, um, what's the what's the, what's the price that the market can bear, and how many of them can you make to make people happy. Um, so Japanese market's a little different than the U.S. where you can have it bigger and be more expensive, but they 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 can meet the, all their business objectives and make kids happy. And here we have to you know we had we've had to alter them and and do little tricks here and there to make them just as Hopefully desirable to kids, but also a little bit more like mom doesn't look at it and go, "Geez, I'm not buying this kid a $50 Morpher." Mm. Um, what's the magic number? Is it $30? Is it $25? It seems the last couple of years the $30 Morpher has been the way to go because it gives you fun features and lots of playability, um, and mom doesn't, you know, get too turned off by the price. But you're right, it's smaller. You know, I'm thinking of the Carujer one. Yeah, it's smaller than the, the than the Kruger Morpher for yeah. sure. The
4: Carujer um, one's but, massive.
1: It's huge. I don't know how how a five-year-old even held that thing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. They
0: be eating their Wheaties over in Japan, yo. Mm Like, on the real.
4: Um, But the one one thing I want to say is that I think, I don't know if this is directly you, but one of the things that I would say is a success is um, in the regular line, because I'll admit I'm the type of older fan who I pretty much stay with the legacy stuff and I only dabble in the regular line, but the sheer number of just basic figures in the last three years has shot up dramatically. Like, is that from like fan response? Is that personally you? Because I know that for me, I'm buying a lot more basic figures now.
1: That's cool. I'm happy to hear that. That, that was a good, I, I love when someone can prove the point for you. And I got to say, if, you know, every action figure line is successful it has tons of, 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 you know, depth of characters. But I think the one thing that we were failing, you guys, for a bunch of years there was in the breath of villains right you're getting your mm-hmm. we'll call it like the general and then his foot soldier um and yeah. it was up to you to buy as many of the foot soldiers as possible to make a meaningful battle uh but you weren't getting where you know necessarily the the monsters of the week and i think the best i think at first someone tried or someone did their dutifully try like well look at look at wrestling you know they're literally it's 50 50 split there are just as many bad guys as there are good guys in wrestling But someone was able to, like, you know, well, yeah, but that's different. They're blah, blah, blah. And then one week they're a good guy and then they're a bad guy sometimes. And they punched a lot of holes in the argument, which I still believed in. I thought that was a great example. But if anybody, going back to our other friends from the 90s there, Turtles proved once again, like they did, you know, back when Playmates did it 15 years ago and 20 years ago, that if you've got cool-looking bad guy figures, whether you saw the episode or not, if it's a cool-looking bad guy figure, There's a really good strong chance it'll sell, and um, we got slowly more comfortable with that. And I think that was a good team coming to the table and going, look, we we we've we've got rangers. Even even from the pure sales standpoint, you got five rangers. You guys sell a lot of each one in order to sell have big big excellent action figure sales because we got we got five good guys. But then what do you do after you bought all five good guys? Okay, sure, there's armored versions of them. Okay, so after you bought those, who are you fighting with? How many bad guys do you want to have? collectors are starting to get even bigger in these do you want to give them more villains or less and i think that was a nice season by season gradual move into doing that and i'm i'm grateful to the fans for again legitimizing it by buying them but i'm especially grateful to like uh and they're very humble guys so they'll never want me to say names but a really good japanese r&d team and design team as well as the japanese support team that um to them it it's like, well, we don't sell tons of action figures in Japan. It's like, well, we do here, and I bet you we could sell more bad guys. Let's try it together. Let's hold hands and, and really go for it. <laughs> and then they went back and and, des- and designed really cool, kick-ass villain figures. Um, again, they were mass-market $10 figures, so there was not going to be, you know, the, the pupil and the iris of the eyeball weren't going to have three different shades of white with extra <laughs> eyelashes on them. Damn it, those were cool, badass-looking villain figures, and they did a great job. Um, and I think that's what really helped validate the point and prove to everyone, hey, we got more guys than ever before. And I think and God, I think in season two of Dino, maybe it was season one, I think we had like twenty six to thirty different figures. Yeah. That's a that's a healthy lineup right there.
4: I believe I actually counted twenty six the other day, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like so, literally on my shelf counting yes, them
4: all. I have every single basic figure from Dino Charge and Dino Supercharge. Nice.
1: Up. Very <laughs> cool. Thank you.
4: Yeah um i think the other thing that we wanted to talk about was the whole morphin madness thing yes that's a big deal
0: so now when we first heard about this whole morphin madness in the tournament and the thing and then whoever wins from it you're gonna get the 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 figures are gonna come out and we're gonna like oh this is an actual good idea where and and thank thank you for bringing this
1: up because i almost forgot about morphin madness. not because it wasn't good but because it just didn't jump to the top of my head but that was one of the I doing that. That was so much fun.
0: Yeah. And then um, as you're going along and we'll talk about other things after we ask this question, but um, as you go along, it's then you found out that, oh, no, wait, it's that um, only a few lucky winners get to win the chosen set of the chosen picked uh, ranger keys or what have you. Yes. Um, so... Please, can you walk us through the whole Morphin Madness uh, decisions along the way?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think the idea was, at that point, we were going to launch Super Mega Force. It was going to have, you know, the, the, uh, the Legendary Ranger battle. Um, it was also, like, you know, either in or just coming off the 20th anniversary of the season. So, getting, you know, all the equity and all those great favorite Rangers. And, again different people had that two or three year love of power rangers sometimes in different years than each other so there was interest and excitement when all the classic rangers were getting kind of getting rolled into every other episode of super mega force and we thought okay what a cool way to promote the ranger keys which has again characters from you know 20 something seasons um and also celebrate you know all these classic characters and what would it be like if they were all kind of put in a tournament together um, you know, who would make it to be, who would make the ultimate ranger team, which five rangers would make it to the end. Um, and, uh, and we come up, we came up with a prize, of course, celebrating these ranger keys, trying to help promote their existence to sell more of them, um, making that kind of ranger key type of prize where we will make five, we won't no matter if they had molds for the made yet at that point or not, we were going to make, you know, brand new ranger keys, uh, for the, and we came up with, Oh, five winners, right? Cause there's five rangers. Um, let's go ahead and, you know, give them, you know, five top grand prize winners. And, uh, and we literally made those keys and that the hope was, I think at that, that point, um, I can't remember day by day or not, but at that point it was evident that we would have a hard time getting every Ranger made or certain ones made. And maybe, um, you know, we could potentially, you know, if we did the, the ones in the winning set, you know, could we, could we um legitimize that cost to ourselves because it costs money to make a mold by you know doing more mass market versions of them later on so not you know not metallic you know plated or whatever but you know basic ranger key three pack of them later on and at the end of the day you know somebody thankfully and gracefully over in the japanese side like yeah we'll 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 make these you know we think it's a great promotion um now forgive me because you know it's two years now um but I thought and had hoped we were very clear that, you know, yeah, there would be, there'd be five, you know, random <laughs> grand prize winners pulled out from, uh, you know, the every time you did an entry when you did a voting of a round. Um, and I think we also did some, like, secondary prizing where, we, you know, you could win a Megazord or a mm-hmm. Morpher here and there along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then somewhere along the way, people got so crazy about whether or not JDF would win or how many of his keys would make it to Ugh. the top five, that uh, people started hacking the uh, the voting system, <laughs> which was an, an adventure for about two weeks there.
0: Or hacking it so that he would not, like, it went both ways. It was like, oh, it went both ways. Let's, yes. let's game the system. And then it was like, let's <laughs> game the system against him. Yep. so that his keys would win. Um, yeah, I mean, at first it was just like, oh, snap, we get to vote for the ones and then they'll release us in the stores. And then we found out, no, wait, there are going to be winners, only five people. Oh, so <laughs> so that was one. But then the whole system, how did you guys, were you, I mean, I guess this is kind of a softball question. Were you expecting that people would go and try to hack the system in order to get their favorites?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll. Again, whether I sound foolish for saying it or not, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think that would happen. I, it didn't occur to me that people would try to do it. And maybe it's because I always assume the best. I, you know, I, tried, I I think I'm a cynic and I'm pretty sarcastic. But at the end of the day, I believe in humanity. And I do believe in people <laughs> and I'm a pretty optimistic person. And I pretty much expect the best that I have anyone when I meet them. So
0: You believe that children I, are your future? <laughs> <laughs> so, at my own peril.
1: Um, I was not cynical enough to think that, oh, my God, people are going to completely just back end the system and, and put bots in there and and, and um, have them pumping out votes in the middle of the night. Um, once it started happening, I got over that initial shock. I was like, oh, you know what, though? It makes perfect sense. I, I, I can see, see why they're doing it. I get it. And then my next reaction was, I'm stoked that people love this thing enough that they wanted to break it. Like that was my
4: – <laughs> I was just to say, i are oddly impressed.
1: Reactions when homer finds out he's, he's going to die in dr hibbert's office those are my moments of like acceptance grief <laughs> excitement etc <cetera. laughs> um and then we worked with our excellent um um promotions partner um they were called soap back then but they changed the name to ludomade to identify the problem try to block it and then create a system in place when it, when our smart fans figured out what the cure was and then you know create another bot to fight it that it would immediately generate and spawn, you know, things to fight those bots too. So it definitely helped the, the it helped regulate the voting better. And we certainly utilized that in, um, you know, the Megazord Madness version of it the following year.
4: Mm-hmm. I guess um, one of the things that I think fans were a little uh, complaining about was like, it felt like there weren't, there wasn't a very strong female representation in the brackets, and a lot of the women that made the brackets were always paired up against Ix each other. Other women, yeah. Yeah. So it seemed like a very tough road for more than one female figure to win, and even the fact that you know the Pink Time Force Ranger made it there was kind of a minor miracle.
1: Yeah, I don't remember what the mechanics were to with the. I remember we that there was a. A trustworthy source of Power Rangers lore and fan mania who was engaged and and, uh, still remains anonymous to um, uh, To help kind of seed the brackets in a in as organic and as random a way as possible The there was consideration put that there was a fear but no measures taken or put into place necessarily overtly to say we don't want all mighty morphin end up, you know final five, right? Mm -hmm, because that mm -hmm. would just be a mighty morphin team so you probably saw some pairings that were logically meant to prevent that. And that was probably it because I don't think, I think they, everyone's agreement was that this had to be the most like let, let the fans do the talking. If it Mm -hmm. surprises us, shocks us or disappoints us, then that's on us. It's not on you guys. Um, So if, if there was, if it, if there was a lack of, of female against male matchups, was that consistent with every round? I don't remember. Uh, with some females paired off against each other, probably just like some Jasons were paired off against each other. Um, Jason, David, Franks. I mean, um, so you know there was there was that, but it was it was the attempt there was just to let it be as raw and natural as possible, with the only asterisk being let's let's not have it all be Mighty Morphin Pink, Mighty Morphin Red, Mighty Morphin Black, Mighty Morphin Yellow, Right, <laughs> Mighty Morphin Blue.
0: All uh, Jason David Frank. Jason David Frank. Yeah, I would have
4: just <laughs> put all the BS against each other in the first round.
1: The, and, and, and when we were planning it, there was one voice at the table that said, "You know, if Jason David Frank is our, in a sense, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and he does make up the top five, there is something to that." And there was another voice at the table that said, "But if we do that, is that the, you know, if is that a good thing if that happens, or is that a bad thing? Like, you know, we, at that point, I the end, think was truly." in the trenches enough at Bandai to know if there was pure 100% love for JDF or if there was backlash against him. But at the end of the day, when you're, you know, a product company, you go, hey, you know, when he's when he's the Green Ranger, the Green Ranger always, you know, he's, he's, he sells great. When he's the White Ranger, he sells great. You know, when he was a Red Ranger later on, he sold great. So, you know, there was certainly like, hey, Jason David Frank's pretty cool. He's like our, he's like our A guy. But there was definitely, you know, caution at the table going, well, you know, look, if, you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing if it was all all five top five Tommies? Um, is that as bad or better than if it was all five Mighty Morphins? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I mean, it was as hopefully as raw and and uh, organic as possible. Oh
0: well, look, I I think like we have had such a wonderful discussion and and insight to all things that were part of your job um mm-hmm. but before you go there's one last thing i want to ask right so okay dino charge dino charge is currently done dino charge is done dino supercharge is done the finale has been shown the epilogue also has been shown um ha- have you seen the finale have you seen the end of dino charge
1: no i've got it cu- i've got it saved up in my um dvr and i have not watched it yet oh
0: Oh.
3: you are you are in for an episode of television yes (laughs) (laughs) in
2: in
1: a in a a stranger things good way or in a
3: uh
2: Uh, i'm trying to think um, what a
1: bad tv show is about hurting any tv show's feelings so but i can't do it i can't come up with one i hope yeah
3: i hope you like dinosaurs a lot
1: (laughs) okay yeah did you did you did you guys love it
3: did you
2: guys uh, like uh, it? You Did know? you guys listen to our episode?
3: Listen, Here's... listen to our episode about it.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's
0: a thing. <laughs> watch it, then go back to our finale discussion. It's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you listen to our discussion. We were. Not, I am not going to spoil that for you, hun. Oh, you know.
4: Fair enough. <laughs> Stock up on Tylenol. And.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Is that the hard? Is that the hardest drug that's required to watch it,
0: or?
3: Um. <laughs> We don't, we don't. We don't. We don't. want to encourage anything on this podcast.
4: Instead. No, other drugs are available.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're in California. You know there are options. It's
0: true. <laughs> that is true. I, I guess. I guess. I guess the actual final uh, question would be: Given where you are now, in 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 your career now, um, what advice would you offer to up and coming young adults? who want to pursue being in marketing, being in brand management, working with either, you know, toy company or an entertainment company, what kind of advice would you have for them?
1: I'd say this, and hopefully this is kind of good for anybody that hears it. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to go to the best school. You don't have to be the best looking. As long as you're sincere and you work hard um, and you're patient, that's all you really need. Um, the first couple it, and it's and that advice changes pretty much every two to three years based on what you've done in that two to three years so for me i was a raw ball of energy and thankfully a little bit of natural talent and enthusiasm and then my next step within you know 18 to 24 months of that was okay now learn to temper that learn when to speak up and then learn when to listen learn when to be the bull in a china shop but then learn you know be like fat joe and lean back every now and then
2: <laughs> don't,
1: be, don't be all up in everything all at once. It, it, it's nuance. Take what you do, love what you do, work hard at it, and then be ready for the next phase, which is do it more, do it harder, or be more nuanced, be more patient, or you know, lend a helping hand to someone who can rise up with you or learn from someone who's bigger, better, and you know, better paid than you and learn what you can from them. And the core of all that is you know, as long as you like what you're doing, as long as it makes you happy, in my case, this is where it gets a little more specific because I get to put, you know, smiles on kids' faces. As long as you love making a kid happy on their birthday or on Christmas morning or on Hanukkah at night, um, keep, that, keep that going when the going gets tough. When the retailer, you know, walks out of the showroom and goes, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Or, you know, when someone goes, hey, man, why did you not do this one character from that one season? You guys suck. You don't know how to make toys. Remember, you also made five or 10 or 20 people happy for every one of those kids. Um, And just work hard. Just work hard and be proud and do your thing. Um, Be good to each other. You don't have to steamroll over another person and to do what you do best. Um, In fact, you can inspire greatness in other people if you just do what you do best.
0: Thank you, Greg. Look at that. You see, we Aww. ended up in the holidays with a little yes. holiday treat. Look at that. <laughs> Ain't that nice? A little hot chocolate. You just run and drink a little hot chocolate with all that warm goodness. Can,
1: look. Can at you that. can you stir a candy cane in that cho- hot chocolate? That tastes good.
0: Just a little candy cane, you know, That'd sprinkle a little marshmallow. Hey, look at you. Look at nice. you. Well, you. Know what you.
1: It is? I I yes. love what I do, and I got I got a twelve year old and a uh, seventeen year old. I know, I know. I look young for that old of kids but i got lucky young what can i say <laughs> um, hey. i meant that in the positive way not in the pejorative sense um but I, that's what i tell you. i said i don't care if you're a street sweeper if you're a ceo or if you're the ceo of street sweepers or if you're the street sweeper of ceos as long as you're honest with yourself honest with the people you deal with and if you just show passion and love for what you do you're gonna do great and if you don't feel that passion and that burn try something else but take what you do and and, and, and and do what you do and have fun doing it and be nice to other people. And that always works out no matter what you do.
0: Well, thank you mm-hmm. again, Greg, for joining us. Um, and we are just going to sign off with a little holiday cheer, you know, and Happy New Year to everybody. And and hopefully as you're listening to this and into the new year, depending on when this comes out, but after you're listening into <laughs> the new year, hopefully – yeah, your his words of encouragement can like seep in because we kind of need that right now. Well, okay. just
1: as, just as much, if not more so, it's my thanks to thanks to everybody, thanks to y'all, and thanks to all the fans out there too. Because I had such a fun, enriching, meaningful three years. Um, I had some interesting stuff going on in my life during those three years, you know, personal and family and whatnot. And and during highs and lows, the, the Power Rangers fans, the toys, and the job of being and serving power rangers was like my rock through everything um i never had a day where i didn't love coming in the office and i never felt daunted or discouraged by anything going on because the fans such good people fun i made tons of friends through it and i'm proud of having worked on one of the best uh kids brands in the world that grown-ups also happen to love too
4: all right at hey. you. <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> Nailed it! I want to start the entire show over. <laughs> Nailed it!
3: <laughs> no, this episode is flawless. We'll just release that part. Release it
0: <laughs> two minutes.
2: That's it.
0: Yeah. Cause oh yeah, cause like for the longest time his old job was at the top. I'm just like oh it's blah blah blah. I'm like same no same words blah blah. Oh wait. Hey, it's been an update. hey <laughs> Right, we got one more question. All right, yo, these legacy figures. And this is what Jeremy, right, pointed out to me, right? Yes. So there were, you know, you had your first wave, right, of the the Mighty Morphin thing, right? And then, is it in the second wave, Jeremy? Okay, okay well. You explain it. There, was, there, was,
4: there was actually two things. Because first, in the first wave, the Ninja Storm, there was a mistake on the Morphers. The, uh, the red and the yellow one were switched?
1: Yes, yes, you were right.
4: And then in the second wave, you have the silver belts on the three Mighty Morphin Rangers. And I just am confused how either of those things happened.
1: Yeah, I think in, in, in the spirit of partnership, Saban and Bandai both approved accurate designs. Uh-huh. And, and because they you know they raised their hands officially and, and humbly and apologized for it. Something, something at the factory level with the paint ops and the paint machinery being programmed were not programmed correctly mm-hmm. or we're not there were the spec sheets, which we call, which are basically like the call outs as to what color every piece of plastic or paint deco should be, um, was not adhered to with the scrutiny that, uh, the band I was, you know, usually known for as far as good product quality. Oh. And, uh, it's funny, fewer people noticed or kvetched about the, um, ninja the, the, ninja storm warfare thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Oh man, like when I saw my first production samples of, um, you know, the Mighty Morphin Pink and Mighty Morphin Blue, I was like, oh my goodness, you did not do this. And I was like, all right, well, sometimes your initial production run isn't the full production run because you got to, you know, you're, you're, you're producing to to order ship dates and the order ship dates are what then delivers the product to the retailer. And sometimes you just pump out, say, a fraction, like a third or a quarter of the full production run to get mm-hmm. it out on time. When it's no an action, but when it's action figures with deep assortments, and when the when a company is trying to like control its cost and also its liabilities for you know um, what do you call it, supply chain nonsense that happens behind the the scenes, sometimes they'll produce a full entire run of something all in one shot. Mm. So my first question, of course, to you know my guy who will remain nameless but is a wonderful dude, I was like, all right, well, how many of these are going out? All. Shut. All, all what, all, oh, all shot, all, all X number, or all, and yeah, you can't possibly mean the entire wave shipped at once, right? And they said yes. <laughs> I was oh,
0: like no. I can't.
1: I was so disappointed.
0: No. So, so that's how it is. Like that, there's no like fixing or like, hey guys, we're. So-
1: gonna- my 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 parting words of recommendation, because it's it, it it's funny. Cause, I mean, that's why I had to laugh when Leslie said that, because it really did all happen within you know a matter of days, if not just you know a couple short weeks of each other. You know that um, starting to appear on shelves, and me being uh, positioned with a really awesome career opportunity. Um, and by the way, you all were you know I know you meant it more metaphorically than anything, but you weren't uh, the only ones who shed, shed shed a tear or two over that decision, because I I love working on that brand, but um it was a big choice for me. But, um, but my main point of recommendation to was to use the own Megaforce. I'm sorry, Megaforce. The the, the Thunder Megazord example of guys when we when we, we mess up, we 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 have the opportunity to make it better. And you know whether it's a $200 item or it's a $20 item, that's the same fan buying that. Um, and if you want to grow that fan base to even be more, doing the right products and the right color is probably a good step in that direction yeah. so i said we, so you know my my exiting strong recommendation is that you guys somehow work out something with the factory because it, it was human error or machine error and someone did raise their hand and humbly say you know we we didn't mean that we're sorry um in fairness we're working together there should have been maybe some sort of make good i said i said i suggest you guys figure something out and then you know, use the reliable mouthpieces of the fan community to kind of let the word out to say that hey, if you got X figure by accident with X color, you know, contact us and we'll do X, the X, Y, and Z. Yes, um, yeah,
0: trade in program. Yes, like, yes. look, like, like, we don't, not a recall, a trade in program. There yeah. you go, and yes. just so, trade in your toys, guys.
1: Let me so, do that. I have that. So, so when Bruno posted on his channel a couple weeks ago, I, I set that meeting up before I left, was to have him kind of come in and you know, talk about some things and preview some things and work on some other things potentially. Um, and then of course, you know, I, I, I had to leave then at that point. But I kept, you know, he kept the appointment and he came back and he did an update. And I watched it. Also, like, oh boy, I hope they have something <laughs> good to say about these stupid belts. And like, uh, you yeah, know, that's it, folks. And please don't, please don't not buy them just because they're silver. Otherwise, the clog, the shelves get clogged and you won't get the new waves. So essentially, being sorry, deal with it, and make sure you buy them anyway because. You know, otherwise you'll you'll stop Wave Three from hitting shores uh, stores. Which okay, as a fan, I didn't like that answer one bit. Yep, but that's so all I am
0: now record, as a fan. I can't do anything. I can't do anything else about Terms, all right? You you on the record? You you were you you and and Bandai y'all are y'all are cool. Y'all left on good terms. Oh, absolutely. You are you are on to to new pastures and doing big things
1: absolutely lest anyone think otherwise i would hate for them to have the wrong perception about me or bandai but no it was a a an interestingly timed and uh but ultimately i think hopefully great thing that a really great one of the guess like i said before one of those kind of jobs you position yourself to get into at some point in your career whether you're making toys or software or whatever and it happened at a time when you know things couldn't be better or happier in power rangers land as far as a movie coming out and Movie line. I was excited for the world to see um, a, a, a silver belt snafu on an otherwise really good figure line. Um, that just happened to be the timing of it all.
4: On the record, they need Jeremy for quality control. Is what they need. <laughs> <Set> up <laughs> Straight some, up. Some,
0: set up some Jeremy, you know, yes. meetings. Just Jeremy, yeah. you, you probably have to. You probably have to
1: live in uh, Shenzhen, China. Are you okay with that?
4: I'll do whatever I have to do. I, I'm not doing. <laughs> I don't like my job right now, so I'll move.
1: Right. I would say visit China a few times before you decide you want to live there.
4: Uh, I'm sure, it's <laughs> nice. It's big. Hey,
0: no communism. <laughs> it's cool. Mm. Bye. Good. All right. Um. Now we're now we're done with the show. Nice. <laughs>